Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Reading all the way down through the end of the chapter, actually. Down to verse 31. And we just may finish the chapter 1 today. Most of you are probably praying, yes, Lord, let it be. (laughs) And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in which which is the fruit of of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat or food. And to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to every thing that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your continued guidance and direction through your word. Especially, Lord, as we have dealt with and... uh, desire to continue to deal with, uh, in a a very in-depth way, the study of creation in the book of Genesis. We are so thankful, Lord, that you pour out your Spirit upon us, and that is what we ask for this morning, for the outpouring of your Spirit to fill us with wisdom and understanding and knowledge that we may trust, Lord, everything that you do, For indeed, if you are the God who created all things by the word of your power, then we can trust you indeed for all things in our own lives and for the needs that we may have. We come before you, Lord, this day, trusting that you will lead us through this time. But we desire, Lord, to be attentive to all that you have to say to us today. And we ask for that leading and guiding now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever considered the importance of gifts as they pertain to your relationships in life? Gifts always tend to reveal the heart of the giver toward the one who receives the gift. Take, for example, gifts given in marriage. Husbands, do you know why gifts are so meaningful to your wives? Realize that it is not the amount of money you spend on her that really interests her. It is the amount of time and thought that were invested in the gift, simply because time and thought reveal your heart in a way that money never can. The fact is that gifts are a significant part of our relationship with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Think about it. Salvation is a gift from God to us. After we're saved, the Lord pours out His Holy Spirit who gives to each of us one or more spiritual and even supernatural gifts. And it's important to understand that gifts that the Lord gives always speaks to us of His grace. And what is grace but God's unmerited favor? You see, none of God's gifts can be earned. None of God's gifts can be merited. And that simply because they're undeserved. We don't deserve them. They are in and by and through and because of God's grace. And the word grace 
has that understanding of God's gifts to us. In our text today, we learn that creation is God's gift to us. Even just looking at verse 29, simply we see the word there. God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, every tree in which the fruit of, uh, of a tree yielding seed to you, it shall be for meat or for food. And of course we know that wasn't all that He gave to man that day. Because if you look fully at what He gives to us, God, first of all, stamped His image upon us. That was a gift. It's a gift to be stamped with the image of God and the likeness of God. Then then He gave us dominion, it tells us, over all the animals that He created previously. And then He gave man the wherewithal as, as well as the privilege and responsibility to be fruitful and to multiply and to replenish the earth. That's a gift. And so in this respect, God's creation was given to man. It was a gift from God. And even after man's sin in the Garden of Eden, which we will certainly cover in great detail in chapter 3, but I'm not going to wait till chapter 3 to be telling you that man has fallen. It's certainly important for us to realize that if we haven't realized it already. But even after man's sin in the garden, consider what we are told in Psalm 115, verse 16. Because here the psalmist says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth he has, has He given to the children of men. The earth hath He given to the children of men. And just as our gifts to one another reveal our hearts, God's gift of creation reveals His own heart toward mankind. Think once again of Psalm 145 now. Back in the Psalms, verses 16 through 19. Think of what God says here. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and holy in all His works. The Lord is nigh or near unto all them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. And notice in verse 19, He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. But consider just what He says here in the first part of this. Thou openest thine hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. Well, where does that go back to? It goes all the way back to the, to the life that God gave us in creation. To every living thing. And then as we listen to the Apostle Paul on Mars Hill, as he speaks to the Athenians about God there, notice what he says in Acts 17, verses 24 through 28. He says, God that made the world and all things therein. Referring back to creation. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth. Dwelleth not in temple made with hands, or temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed, he needed anything. And notice this, seeing he, gave, he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for, to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined the, the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. But consider that statement that he, that he gives us. The God who made the world and all these things therein, seeing that He giveth to all life and breath and all things. You see, while the word grace is not specifically used in our text in the book of Genesis, certainly the concept of grace cannot be disguised or hidden from creation. The gift of creation can be seen in its intention to remind mankind of God's grace in a way that prepares the heart to receive the gift of salvation when the gospel is eventually presented. See, we need to look a a little bit ahead and realize that God already knew 
what man was going to have to deal with. God already knew what man was going to do in the garden. But we see how God gives His grace from the very onset in preparation. Doesn't that say a lot about God's love for us? That He would begin with grace, knowing how much we would need His grace when we fail, when we falter, and when we fall. And while it is true that what we call nature may at times seem cruel and violent and unforgiving and merciless, Think about all of the earthquakes that have taken place recently and the, uh, the natural disasters as we see them, hurricanes and tsunamis and, and just the great disasters that have happened in a, in, a, in a great way in the last few years. Nonetheless, when David wrote the Psalms and when Paul preached to the Greeks in Athens, both of them appealed to God's creation as a universal witness of God's grace. In other words, the forces of nature are only a small part of a greater picture. When the whole picture is seen objectively, there is irrefutable evidence that the universe has a design which requires the existence of a designer. And may I say a divine designer. The God of the Holy Scriptures, the God of the Bible who sustains all life on earth, who holds the universe together by His power, who does so freely and on account of His grace, toward men, even unsaved, unbelieving men. And see, we should be thankful for that too, because that was our condition before we came to Christ. Recipients of God's grace. <clears throat> and so when we begin to read once again what it says in our text, and God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. In our previous study, we briefly examined the who of creation. Being Elohim. The name given to God, and the name that God gives us of Himself at, at the onset of creation. Elohim, the, the unit plural, the triune God, and his personal involvement in the creation of man. We spoke of man's distinction from all other created beings due to his created consistency with God, which brings to life the great possibility, and of course we know it to be true, that great possibility of Christ's incarnation, of God becoming man and of coming to this earth. And because of our being created in God's image and likeness, man possesses personality, morality, and spirituality, making man far superior than all other created beings, for we can know the mind and the will of God. Now from our text we see that man is, is said to be both created and made. As we've learned previously, the Hebrew word for created is barah, to create out of nothing. And the word made, azah, both of those words, as a matter of fact, are in our text when it talks about the, the creation of man. Barah and azah. Because azah usually indicates forming something out of, a, out of previously existing materials. So these two things come to mind in understanding the use of both words. It is possible, you see, that the Lord used these words interchangeably with essentially the same meaning in that it is also accurate to describe man as both created and made in this sense. Man's body was made out of the same materials that God called into existence on the first 24-hour day of creation, but he was created in God's image and likeness in a way not shared by any other living being. And we talked about that difference last time. The great distinctions that man has over all that was created that same day. 
and in the day before when we saw the sea creatures and the, and, and, and the birds of the air created. Think for a moment how different we are from all other living beings. Because not only did God give us personality, we have minds to think, we have emotions to feel with, and we have wills for making decisions. But even more than that, He also gave us an inner spiritual nature that enables us to know Him and to worship Him. We're going to soon see that the image of God in man and woman has been marred by sin. And again, I have, I'm going to keep emphasizing that very fact that I'm not going to wait till chapter 3 to tell you man has fallen. We are already dealing with the sin dilemma and have been since the garden. But Paul puts it this way. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19, Paul says this, I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. And so Paul is, is, is dealing with that issue of us already, been, already having been marred by sin. We as Christians are no longer the walk as the Gentiles walk. In the uselessness and the vanity of our minds, living and walking in darkness, alienated from that life of God, the life of God that was given to us spiritually from the very beginning. But through faith in Jesus Christ and submission to the work of the Holy Spirit, believers in Jesus Christ can have that divine nature renewed to them. See, this is why it is important for us to understand what happens when we are saved by the work of Jesus Christ. When we are saved by the power of God through Christ, through the death of Jesus Christ, and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are the things we need to learn. Let's read on in Ephesians 4, verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation or conduct the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Where does that take us back to? It takes us back to the perfection given to man in the garden. Where man was created in the image of God. Stamped with the likeness of God. That is why we need to be renewed. And that renewal is not just something that happens once, really every day for us as believers in Jesus Christ. Yet that initial moment, that initial point where our lives were changed from death to life, from darkness to light, now gives us a whole new view of how we are to be as those created and stamped with the image of God. And not only here in Ephesians, but Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, Paul once again drives that particular point home. He says, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man. It is like putting on a whole new person, a whole new wardrobe, a whole new outfit. Put on the new man, which is renewed, notice, in the knowledge, or renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. It goes back to, to the creation of man in the garden, or, well, on, on the sixth day, when he was stamped with the image of God. Put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Who created us? Jesus! Whose likeness do we have? Jesus. And Paul doesn't stop there because in the book of Romans he presses the same point again. Romans 12 verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is the perfect will of God? That we be stamped with the image of Christ. 
from creation. And you think Paul's done? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul once again drives home this point. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. There's the word image. From glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Who truly is the glory of God but Jesus Christ Himself? In whose image were we stamped? In the image of God and of Christ. And even the Apostle Peter states in, in 2 Peter 1 verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Well, where was the divine nature given? In the garden. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Where does that come from? From the renewing of our minds and our hearts. And we come back to the stamped image of God and Christ in our lives. So on that day when we do see Jesus, and that day's coming, we need to be ready for it. But on that day that we see Jesus, all of God's children will share in the glorious image of Christ. Think about what John says in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1-3. through 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And if we'll be like Him, what does that say? We'll be stamped once again with the image of Christ. For we shall see Him as He is, and every man that has, that has this hope in Him purifies himself, even as He is pure. It always takes us back to the perfection of God's creation in man. Oh, and may I say that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul has one more thing to say. But in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 49, Paul says, And as we have borne the image of the earthy, speaking of the first Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly, speaking of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. We shall bear the image of the heavenly. So before we move on then to the next point in our text, the issue of dominion, let me say that we will deal in greater detail the matter of male and female in chapter 2. It is a very important and crucial issue today in our, in our day and time, in our society. We're going to deal with it, but we'll do it in chapter 2. I do want to say that the creation of man was not and is not a reference to the evolution of previous ape men. Y'all probably thought I wasn't getting to science today. You know, we, have a, we have a little bit of science today. Not a whole lot. But uh, creation is, it, here is not, it, not really referencing to this evolution of previous ape men. Y'all, y'all remember, of course, the, uh, the studies in our schools, uh, public schools, famous ape men evidences. You remember uh, su- uh, such as uh, Piltdown Man. How many of you remember Piltdown Man? And your, who was asleep during science class? Uh, uh, I'll just go through the list. Piltdown Man. There was Nebraska Man. Neanderthal Man. Pithecanthropus Erectus. Peking Man. Homo habilis and Xenanthropus Man. You, you remember those? Y'all think? Don't remember those. <laughs> Let me just tell you that uh, all of these, all of these that I've mentioned have been discredited by careful objective scientific analysis. <laughs> uh, they're the remains, uh, the remains of whatever was, uh, by the way, Piltdown Man was actually a hoax. There's other hoaxes here. But um, the remains are, are either of animals or actually of true human beings, but not a transition between them. Nebraska man, by the way, was uh, the subject of the famous Scopes trial that was held in Tennessee many, many years ago. A movie was made uh, 
uh, about that, uh, which was actually trying to press the, uh, you know, the issue of the, uh, of the virtues of, of evolution over creation and all. But uh, here, here's what we found out, that Nebraska man, the, the whole thing, this whole Scopes trial centered around Nebraska man. And you know what Nebraska man was? You know what all they had was? A tooth. They had a tooth. That was Nebraska man. And, and it was later found, uh, they, they, they looked at this tooth and they said, well, this is, this is the tooth of an extinct pig. Well, later still, later still, researchers discovered that that pig wasn't even extinct. I was going to show you a picture of it. I, I, uh, maybe next week I'll show you the picture. It's a real ugly pig. But it's still around. It wasn't extinct. It's still here. And that, that tooth was, was uh, but that was Nebraska man. Uh, you know, and, and that's not, there, there's no virtue in evolution. That's only the folly of evolution. And we've talked about it a lot. We're still going to talk about it as we go along. But I just had to mention that. Okay, let's move on to dominion because now dominion is being spoken of here. Let's look at it again, verses 26 to 28. And God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion. There's the word. Dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them. Stop for just a second and think about that phrase. And God blessed them. How did God bless them? The Lord was able to say to man in a way that man could understand because man was created with all the appearance of age and all the appearance of knowledge and wisdom that God himself could say I want to bless you and I want to keep you. And I'm going to make your face shine upon you. And I'm going to be gracious to you. And I will lift up your countenance to where we see face to face. And I will give you shalom. I will give you peace. It's a wonderful thought. How God in his consistency of blessing would bless so fully the man that he created in his image. The man and the woman because now we see that male and female were created. We'll see how that happened in chapter 2. God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion, and there's the word again, over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Man and woman were to have dominion over all the animals. Dominion means, very simply, it means to rule. To rule over, to master, to control, to manage, and, and to look after and to care for. That's what it means to have dominion. Nowadays, people like to take the first couple of, 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 uh, uh, of the uh, definition here, the first couple of phrases of the definition, you know, to rule over, to master, to control. But they, uh, they don't want to look after and to care for. But you see, God builds that in to dominion. We are to care for, we are to look after the things that God has created. So originally, when God first created the animals and man, there was apparently no savagery among the animals. Neither man nor animal ate other animals. Compare, if you will, these two verses. Look at verse 30 for a second. It says, To every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. So, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that uh, nobody ate meat, therefore they were all vegetarians. God made that clear with one verse of Scripture. And some of you are saying, oh, shucks. Why did that verse have to be there? We're getting ready right now when this service is over to go over to Calvary Cafe and have ourselves some bacon and all kinds of other good stuff. Why does he have to mess this up with that? No, 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 but God knew what he was doing, and, 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 and there's reason for this, by the way. But I want you to compare that verse with another verse. Turn all the way over to chapter 9 now of Genesis. 
This is after Noah uh, and, and, and the flood and, and uh, the receding of all the, uh, the, that took place. And, and notice what is said to Noah in Genesis 9 verse 3. After what? After, after the fall of man, after sin, after the, the wickedness of man being great upon the earth and sin and death was reigning and ruling in, the, in this time. This is what he says, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as a green herb have I given you all things. So every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. So speaking to a man, he says, man, now, you know, there will be sacrifices being given. There will be sacrifices being done. And uh, the meat itself will be good for you. And you take it and, and, and eat it. It's all in the timing here, folks. In the perfected creation, there was no savagery. And God, God made all the food that man needed. And it was probably richer in nutrients for the body than any food we may have today. But man and animal live side by side in peace and apparently with some affection for each other. At least among the higher order of animals. But, but man was the ruler. The, the one who was to have dominion because God gave him that. That was a gift that God gave. Man was the ruler, the dominating force, the leader among all the creatures of the earth. But note what has happened since the fall of man and the world into corruption. Animals live in a world of savagery, <coughs> having to struggle for food and fight for survival against other animals. This is what Darwin was looking at. This is what Darwin was seeing. Uh, and, 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 and rather than going back to what, how God created things and how God made things and the order that God made them in, you know, they just said, well, you know, evidently animals must have been savage all the time and there was a fight for survival. And somehow we came out of all of that primordial, you know, soup to be what we are today. But you see, from the very beginning, God began with grace. God began with perfection. Everything that He did was very good. And He promised, though, and has promised, and is promising, and we will see this come to pass. God promises a new age and a new day. Not a new age like the New Agers today. I'm talking about it's going to be a new time. It's going to be a new day, a new earth, a new world. We've talked about it before. And we'll continue to talk about it again. But this will be the time when perfection and peace shall reign upon the earth once again. Coming back to paradise as God intended it. We've often heard of the, the Milton classics. Paradise lost and what? Paradise regained. By the way, has man fared any better than the animals? Seems to me like over the years we have become more savage than even the animals themselves. The animals are savage because that's what their nature became after the fall. Why did we become like them? What a painful thing it is when we read or, or hear the news stories of, of people killing other people just for the sake of killing them. What bothers me more than anything else is how young people today are, are, are just quick to, to take someone's life without any remorse whatsoever. What happened to the heart of man? It makes us realize that Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 is still quite, quite a truth that we have to deal with. It was the very reason for the flood itself. It says... God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Isn't that something? That's the day and time in which we live. But consider, if you will, Isaiah chapter 11. Because in Isaiah 11, what we are seeing here is a picture of what is to come, the picture of the millennium, the new millennium, the, the thousand-year reign of Christ, it is a time when all things will, will be restored as it was when? In the perfection of God's creation. Think about it. In Isaiah 11, verses 6-9, through 9, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. I didn't know I made it into the Bible. And the little child shall lead them. 
And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lions, the lion shall eat straw like the ox. They're not eating each other anymore. And the, suck, the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, which is, of course, a, a, a snake. And, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the cockatrice den, which cockatrice is a viper. Uh, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Wow. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb. If that were to happen today... The wolf would say, come, lie down with me, lamb. The leper shall lie down with the kid. That poor little goat didn't know what hit him. But this is what it was like in those days. And by the way, there were dinosaurs too. And they weren't savage toward each other. Or toward the other animals. Hosea also mentions in Hosea chapter 2 verse 18. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of the heaven and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. Interestingly enough here, we're going to have a covenant with the animals. But then what, does, what is it that God destroys? He destroys the implements that man uses against himself. Bows and swords and... And even the battle of the earth. God says that's going to be all gone. You know the attempt of, of the world uh, <clears throat> you know, to beat uh, their swords into plowshares as, as is part of the motto of the United Nations. Hasn't worked has it? Because they have, they have gone at that without God. They have gone at that without the Prince of Peace who is Jesus Christ. They are trying to do this on their own and they'll never accomplish it. Only God can bring true peace. But that is now how God gave us dominion. By the way, we still have some sense of dominion, don't we? Uh, we, we have tried uh, to capture the, the essence of, of the creation of God. We we uh, oversee things like zoos where we can have the animals there to be to be seen. Now, of course, uh, most most zoos today are, are are evolutionary based, and so you know they'll talk about the millions and billions and thousands and hundreds of thousands of years and, and stuff like that. But you know, if I go, I love going to zoos. I love to go to zoos because I love to look at an animal and say, Lord, you were just so awesome when you made that animal, the way you created that animal. The beauty of its color, the beauty of its, uh, just the preciseness of all that it has and all that it needs. I mean, God, you're just, just wonderful. And you gave us all of this so that we could appreciate it in our daily lives. At the same time, even though we may have that dominion, we have to be very careful, don't we? Just like they learned at SeaWorld recently. And people say, well, you know, these are trained animals. Yeah, but remember what that animal was called? Killer whale? Like emphasize on killer? You have to be careful? So, you know, and that that with all due respect to the family that lost a loved one. But, you know, that's that's the problem in in our dominion today is we don't have full dominion. Why? Because of sin. Because we failed God. Well, anyway, that's dominion. Second thing that we we see here that God has given us is provision. Provision. Verses 29 and 30, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat or for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to every thing that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. So everything that had life, and of course, that's an obvious thing, everything that was breathing, everything that was alive, well, the, the, the green herb was, was their food. So God provided the vegetation of the earth to feed man and animal. Now remember, 
But God is meeting with man, sharing who man is, and why he has been created and placed upon the earth. And there are several facts that we need to take under consideration in this particular point of God's provision for man. First of all, man and animal were, as I said before, to be vegetarians in the original creation of the perfect earth. There was no such thing as eating flesh. Eating flesh came only after the fall, as we read in Genesis 9, verse 3. So what it is telling us here, of course, is that any other theory outside of what God just plainly says in His Word cannot be. In other words, the gap theory, the the theory that there is this space of millions of years of time in verses between verses one and two of chapter one that somehow uh, a lot of things may have taken place and and the earth was uh, you know in, in such a chaotic state that there may have been animals that were living on it like prehistoric animals. Now that gives a theistic evolutionist uh, something to, to, to you know hang their, their thoughts on because now they think well there, there was a time when death was reigning before you know God started forming everything in, 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 uh, in, in the first six days of creation but again we've talked about the fact that there could be no death any time in any, in any way shape or form why? because Every day, God said it was good. And then on the sixth day, He said it was very good. Everything was created according to God's plan. We cannot inject all of these thoughts, especially the thought of anything happening that included death and savagery, because God did not create that. So, out the window with that thought. Secondly, man and animal were given an abundance of food. Uh, Vegetables, berries, and fruit. That sounds okay, you know. I mean, look, we can accept that. As I said, that very food was probably more nutritious than anything that is vegetable, berry, and fruit that we have today. Because God created it, and it was abundant in, in its uh, provision. They were given every plant that bore seed and every tree that bore fruit. So they could eat everything. Until we get to chapter 3. All the land of the earth was fruitful. This is the third point. All of the land of the earth was fruitful. There was vegetation and plant life everywhere. And there was more than enough. Because you, you need to note the words upon the face of all the earth. Okay, So it, we're talking about every place. In, in, in other words, there were no barren or desolate lands upon earth. There, was, there were no deserts, in other words. I guess El Paso couldn't have existed. You know, no dusty, sandy type of thing. It was, everything was fruitful. Can you imagine the land in that, in that state? But that's what God did. And since the fall of man, the earth and its fruitfulness has, to a great extent, been affected by man. It's been affected by the industrial and technological advances of man. Now, even while many of these advancements have been for the greater good of mankind, man has abused and continues to abuse the earth and its plant life or vegetation, even to the point of threatening the survival of future generations. I mean, let's consider things like toxic waste, uh, chemical dumping, acid rain, just to name a few. So... Put things in the hands of fallen man and what happens? Not too much good. The grace and the care of God is clearly seen in this passage. God has provided for man, provided enough vegetation and fruitfulness to feed all people. And man has but one responsibility at this point in the garden or at this point in the land. What is that responsibility? Jesus told us what that responsibility was in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, food, shelter, clothing, shall be added unto you. All these things. When we put our focus upon the things of God. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Seeking first the reign of God. Seeking first the rule of God. You see, man may have had dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the, you know, the, uh, the, fowl of the air and over every creeping thing, but you know what? God had dominion over man. 
And when we come to Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that dominion of God in our lives. To rule over us, to master us, to manage us, and to care and to look after us. That is perfect dominion over us, isn't it? We can trust God. God's not going to burn us. God is going to care for us. Sometimes God allows us to go through certain things to bring us back to Him, but that's why we go through those things. We are to seek first the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the rule of God in our lives. And so we've seen dominion and provision as gifts given to us by God in creation. Lastly comes the completion. Verse 31. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. I love that phrase. Behold, it was very good. Very good. What does that tell us about God's creation? What does that tell us about God's power to create? (laughs) Everything He does is very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God saw that His creation was good. Everything created during the, the, the six days of creation, including man, fulfilled its function. This verse refers to all of God's creation. It it refers to man, yes, but God is looking back over everything He has created. This is is very important for us to understand here. Note these two facts. First of all, man was able to fulfill his purpose and function upon the earth. Man was created in the image of God. He had the very breath of God. He had the immortal life of God in him. And therefore, man was able to do a number of things. First of all, he was able to worship. He was able to fellowship and to commune with God. Why? Because the image of God was stamped upon him. Secondly, he was able to populate the earth. Why? Because the image of God was stamped upon him and he had the breath of God in him. Thirdly, he was able to serve God by subduing, developing, and managing the earth. Why? Because the stamp of God, the image of God, and the likeness of God was upon him. And then lastly, he was able to to be fed and sustained by the resources of the earth. Why? Because he was stamped with the image of God. But then secondly, something else to note. The the word behold calls attention to how good and how perfect God's creation was. Behold, it was very good. God was extremely pleased with his creation. Everything was very good, perfect in every detail. Perfect in every detail. Everything was exactly as God had planned it. Everything was perfect in sustaining man upon the earth. It was perfect in providing a home for man as he went about fulfilling his God-given purpose upon the earth. But I want you to take note that God looked back upon his work. Almost in a sense of evaluation, God looked back. He said, behold, and it was very good. And this is a tremendous lesson for man as he works and serves. Because man should be able to say with the psalmist, as as the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 59, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. You see, the only difference is that when God looks back at things, He's not looking back to see what what He messed up. Because God doesn't mess up anything. But nonetheless, He looks back to show us how we need to look back. How we need to look over our lives. How we need to realize how, how our lives are being, are, are being measured as we go forth as those who have the image of God stamped upon us. The psalmist says, I thought of my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. Think about that in your own life. When you begin to evaluate your life and you begin to examine your life. Listen, an unexamined life is not a good life. An examined life is one that allows us to look back to to prepare to, to make it better going forward. The psalmist says, I thought on my ways. I examined my heart. I examined my thoughts. I examined my actions. And I turned my feet unto thy testimonies. It should drive us right back to God. It should drive us right back to the one who created us in his image. That is why Paul says, examine yourselves and see that you're in the faith. 
Examine yourselves. God looked back and saw everything. That it fulfilled its function. Do we look back at the things that God has given us to do? Do we look back and say that we have fulfilled our ministry? Paul tells us at the very end of his own life, make sure that you, he tells Timothy, but he tells us, make sure that you fulfill your ministry. Sometimes we have to look back to see that we fulfill that ministry. Examine yourself. God Himself sets a dynamic example for man. Everything was good and fulfilled its function. Because He evaluated. Behold, it was very good. Everything in a man's life should be purposeful. Looked after to the ultimate degree. This is why I quoted this last week and I'll quote it again. Deuteronomy 10 verses 12 and 13. I believe I only quoted 12 last week, but let's look at verses 12 and 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes which I command thee this day for thy good. What does the Lord require of us? To fear Him, to walk in His ways, To love Him, to serve Him, and to keep His commandments. If that is what He has given us to do as believers, then we need to look carefully, examine and evaluate the steps that we have taken. Have they fulfilled the ministry God has called us to fulfill? Secondly, Colossians chapter 3.17, Paul says, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. If you cannot put the name of Jesus Christ on what you're doing, then don't do it. Do you understand that? Do you understand how clear that thought is? If you cannot put your if you cannot put the name of the Lord Jesus Christ on what you are doing, then don't do it. You do what God says. And do it to honor God, whatever it is. What a perspective that is. That if we have an examined life, if we have a a life that is evaluated, then we are going to look to to fulfill a purpose that God has given us to fulfill. Well, God is very clear to us when we read the last part of chapter 1. God saw everything that He had made. And behold... It was very good. Perfection. Because God is perfect. Now, God is still perfect. We are not. That's why we need to be stamped with the image of God once again. That's why we need to be renewed in the knowledge of God and Christ in our minds. Be renewed in the love of the Lord. Be renewed in the work of God, be renewed in in the things of God so that we will give testimony by our lives that the Creator of the heavens and the earth has stamped His image and likeness upon us. That doesn't give us reason to be arrogant. It gives us reason to be humbled. We are to be humbled by the image of God in us. And therefore we are to look at the very life of Jesus himself who said, Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my elk upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Our example of humility is the Lord who created all things by the word of his power. Shall we pray?